0: Welcome to Firefly Ignite where we hope that one story will ignite your story. Today's guest is New York Times best-selling author Stacy Eldridge. Stacy and her husband John are the founders of Wild at Heart, which is a ministry committed to seeing the hearts of men and women awakened and come alive. Stacy has authored and co-authored multiple books including Captivating, Becoming Myself, Love and War, and her most recent book, Defiant Joy. I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. So welcome, Stacey Eldridge, New York Times bestselling author, and it's just an honor and privilege to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. It's a, it's an honor for me, too. I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you.
0: I would love to discuss with you today your most recent book, Defiant joy. But before we get into that, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey as an author. So tell me, was writing something that was always a part of your story or was this a more recent development?
1: That's such a good question. And my my answer was really that is pretty much always a part of my life because I love to journal. I kept uh, a diary as soon as Probably beginning in middle school when I was about 12 or 13, writing down my experiences, my thoughts, and it was a great place to be able to vent and express things that were going on. It was a safe place. And then I loved writing short stories. I loved writing poetry, but writing a book was not something that was on a dreams list or a any kind of a list that I had, it, that I kind of fell into. Um, my husband wrote Wild at Heart, the book, back in um, was it two thousand I think or two thousand one, right around then. And shortly after coming out, there was the request from his women readers to go well, what what about us? Because. Wild Heart is about the heart of a man and the masculine journey and uh, the wounds that men take and how they come alive. And, um, it's, it's incredible. It's fabulous. And the women said, where's ours, which was a really legitimate question. And John said, I can't write that book. I'm not a woman. And I said, I can't write that book. I'm not ready to write that book. (laughs) But a few years later, we started, I started doing women's retreats and speaking to women about the heart, their hearts and the the love um, that they held in God's eyes and that their heart is actually the treasure of the kingdom. So my, I've always been passionate about women particularly. And so I came home one day and said, I'm ready. I'm ready to write. And so we actually wrote our first book together, um, together, it's called, called Captivating, Okay. Right? unveiling the mystery of a woman's soul. And that's when I learned how to write because my husband had written several books by then, and I didn't know how to go about it. And he has a whole um, method, a methodology for writing involving a big board and three by five cards and ideas and big ideas getting moved around. And so working with him on that and then And also then learning that I didn't need to write chapter one and then two, then three, then four. It didn't, didn't go like that. I had to write about what I was passionate about at the moment and then see, well, where does that fit? And does it fit? Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I loved writing. We, he wrote half of the book and I wrote the other half and when we would finish a chapter, we took different chapters, we'd give it to the other person to review and edit, and then um, we took it from there. And it was a great experience.
0: And I love that you, like you said, you wrote when you were young, but in a way that expressed your heart, and then it led to this other other avenue for you yeah. uh, to also express your heart in, in a way that perhaps you weren't expecting to. Um was it a little bit intimidating having John already written these best-selling books and then you coming alongside of him or or was it actually just nice being able to have him there to help you
1: You know it was both Lauren really because um I was grateful for his help um it was it was a strengthening thing for our marriage where it could have been the opposite you know but I trusted him and he was um He just led me in it very, very well and honored my writing. And, um, so I was, I was nervous about it going out there. Like, how is this going to be received? Because it's very, it's a very personal book. It's my stories and my life and, um, bad decisions I made or wounds that I received. So it's extremely vulnerable. And it's kind of like you have a baby and then you take it out and hold this little naked thing out in front of the world and say, do you, do you like my baby? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. (laughs) I've not written a book, but I can imagine it's just, it's, it's a, it's like anyone in a way producing a work of art that's so personal and how will others receive it when it is so close to your heart? Exactly. And it's
1: not complete until someone else receives it. Like, Like you can write, but it's not, the circle isn't completed until someone reads it.
0: Right. Right. And would you say that, uh, your, uh, writing process is similar to how John does it now, or does it, has it evolved over time?
1: It's very, very similar for my last book. I tried the board thing, um, but it was more free form. And so I did a ton of writing and then had to figure out the flow. And I got to say, it felt a little bit like I put the horse in front of the cart. <laughs>
0: and right.
1: I think it's better to just <laughs> at least have an, a, a picture in your mind of where you're going, a beginning. What, what are your key things? Where do you want it to land? And that might change, you know, halfway through, but, um, I, I did the three by five cards. I did move them around on the board and, and it was, it was helpful because you just take a card that has a story and then you just write that story and then see if it fits. I found that for me in my last book, I probably wrote twice as much as it needed. Okay. And I, that's really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) You know, and You mentioned your first book, um, Captivating. Would you just briefly just touch on the core elements that that Captivating discusses?
1: Absolutely. Um, The core element is to get the truth out there that your heart is the treasure of the kingdom, that your heart matters, that um, at the, the pace that we're living in, the busyness, the things that are required of us, the wounds that come our way, the hurtful things that happen, um, the messages that we've received that have crippled us when we're young and that continue to come at us can keep our hearts pinned down. And and in this age, um, too, too many women have lost heart, And you need to get that back. You need to get your heart back in order to live the life that not only you want to live, but that you're meant to live. And so the book is about the heart about, um, well, what is the heart? And how do I understand it? And then um, how do I get it back? Um, And also that looking into why Jesus came and he said, I came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And that's all of us. So the book is also about how to receive the healing that jesus has come for us to have and the healing and the restoration is in our hearts so it's, it's about freedom and goodness and life and um and and the dignity of being a woman the high call
0: yeah mm-hmm. it's great i would highly recommend it but let's talk about defiant joy so how was this book birthed where did this title come from i
1: love the title don't you
0: <laughs> it's great it is great It's provocative. (laughs) Good. Because sometimes
1: in order to have joy, it really takes a defiant stance um, against all the what the world is throwing at us. And these these are hard times that we're living in. They're confusing times. And there's a lot coming out of us that is new and we've never navigated it before. But in any person's life, it feels like in any season, they're either going through a struggle, something difficult or those close to them are. Um so this book I actually wrote in what was up to that point the most painful year of my life i um I had to have a hip replacement surgery, but it went undiagnosed for a year and to the point where i I couldn't walk using anything. I was grabbing chairs to I couldn't do anything mm. and then I had a dear friend of thirty five years um Succumbed, died to leukemia from leukemia, and, and that was so painful. Goodbyes are so painful, even if you know they're temporary. And then also in the middle of that year, I had uh, I suffered a betrayal from a very very close friend, and and I don't know that there's a lot that's worse than that. And um, and so I I know that people listening know those kinds of sorrows knows that pain and and it felt like a tsunami there was something else that happened that year but isn't that nice my memory is starting to soften and in the midst of it I felt the invitation from God to not collapse to not let this tidal wave of pain define me or my life or or pin me down to the ground and he invited me instead to look to Jesus. Like, who is he? What has he done? What has he won? What's true? And so I dove in to what is joy? And how crazy is that? That we're supposed to have joy regardless of our circumstances. So um, diving into it, discovering... you. I usually thought of joy as being happiness, like, like squared or... I write that it's happiness on steroids, but it's really not. Joy is this whole other substance. And I love being happy. I I love it. I prefer it to above all things. But but that's based on your circumstances and temporal realities and what's going on and um and it's wonderful, but joy is something else altogether. And it's when your heart is tethered to the reality of heaven. And and the goodness of God. And the larger reality of the spiritual world that we're living in, and that actually doesn't shift. So, so in the midst of being tossed and turned and grieving, the invitation to stand and have my focus beyond a different reality than what I could see. Not, it wasn't saying deny it. Joy isn't about denying reality. But it is about inviting the truth in that—that—that that, that pain, sorrow, suffering, loss, betrayal. It doesn't have the final say over my life, and so to mm-hmm. take that posture required a strength mm-hmm.
0: that I I said was defiant. The the kind of the picture that I had is you know as you're defining trying to define joy versus happiness is when you think of the ocean and i and i kind of picture happiness being those those light waves on the top of the ocean that crash onto the sand and and they're amazing and we love the waves but the joy is the depth of the of the sea you know that yes. underlying deep sturdiness within somebody that is so much more than what we feel on the yes. surface yeah
1: And somehow we're told it's attainable. So I I wanted to and I want to still latch on to that. I'm really I'm really struck by one of the letters in the New Testament. It's called Philippians. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians and um, they call it his most joyful book. And he uses the word joy in it, his, uh, like 16 times, his admonition to have joy is just think about it and not like beating you over the head, but but this encouragement that you're gonna have joy. And he wrote it when he was in prison and shackled and waiting to be put to death. So this is a guy whose circumstances couldn't be worse, really. And yet he is saying, in this place, still, oh man. Cause he knows he knows the end of the story. He knows the end of his story is a is a really really good one, and that's what his eyes are on, and that gives him the strength and the courage then to breathe and to live and to not be in despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when there's a lot of despair in the world right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So something that I really latched onto that I liked that you discussed in the book was this idea of the ache, so I would love for you to describe that a little bit, and, and what I mean by that is I feel like you so perfectly described what so many people feel and carry with them but wouldn't be able to put words to, but in, but in your book, you just talk about the ache that, that in a way we carry simply because we live in a broken world or... Tragic things have happened. And there's just this idea. I mean, first of all, I think giving, giving ourselves permission to acknowledge and be aware that I, I at times carry an ache within me. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, and could you just describe that a little bit more of, of what that can look like in our lives?
1: It comes with being alive. It comes with the territory. And it's this desire for more. And there's this, this knowing that things are not as they are meant to be, but it can be used as a doorway to walk through, to, to receive the more, to drive us on, to pursue, to pursue goodness. And um, I know that I do write about how I hate goodbyes of all kinds. And I also write about seasons, how there's different seasons of life, There's change being the only constant, how all change, we experience it as loss. But to be alive means that we're going to ache. We have a great conversation with somebody, but then the next day we want it again. And it Mm -hmm. touched something in us. Yeah, But we needed to get touched again. Right. um, Yeah. And that's just, that's not a flaw on our behalf. That's not because we're just these needy unfillable vessels this is part of the human condition that we are made for more and it can be a gift to drive us to receive to to press into what is real love what is real relationship where is hope to be found and how what am i standing on that's firm
0: Right. Yes. And I think that this idea is that, like you said, we all carry an ache within us and long for it to be satisfied. But it's what we do with that ache. So some of us are not even aware that the ache's there because because we've suppressed it so much or we've numbed it (laughs) or we've tried to get distance from it. Some of us have perhaps tried to tame the ache or, or, you know, there's just so many things that we try to do because we don't like it. But I think that I I love what you said, that it's not a flaw. Yes. Yes. Perhaps for some people, they're more aware of that pull or to the ache. But I think that we all carry it on some level, whether we're aware of it or not.
1: I think if you're an artist, that you're even more aware of it. If you're sensitive or you're a poet, um, It's extra. You're extra sensitive. You're extra aware. And yeah, there's a
0: cost to that. (laughs) There is a cost to it. And the reason why I'm bringing this up and and I think why you bring it up as well in your book is that it's acknowledging that the ache is there, but it doesn't have to rule us. You know, it doesn't we don't have to give ourselves over to it in, in a depth of despair that this it's like this whole idea that you present essentially of actually this and this is just fascinating that we can carry within ourselves both the ache and joy they can coexist within ourselves and it doesn't and we don't have to be pulled into the the ache you know to the point of despair depression
1: right Right. So this is crazy, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like, ah, oh, I don't get it. How, how is that? Well, it, it's really being able to hold both being just, um, there's a phrase that's becoming very popular about holding space, meaning just letting them have their emotions, letting them feel paying attention. And it's almost like holding space for yourself that we can have a desire for more That we can be actually feeling sad, but that's not our defining characteristic, to know that we are sad, this thing's just happened, this conversation, or this blah, blah, you name it, And, and there's the natural right response of grief, or sadness, or disappointment, but at the same time. To have that not be the defining sentence over our life that I am a sad person, I am a depressed person, um, to be able to say no, I'm actually I'm an alive person. I'm a sensitive person, and um, and to be able to cultivate a heart that can be joyful, that is centered on the good, that can know that. Um, that on the other side, like this, there's actually going to be life on the other side of not only the thing that I'm going through, but actually forever. Yeah.
0: It, it's like it's allowing someone to be absolutely authentic about the reality of life, the pain that they're going through, and yet find joy that wells up within them because of the life of Christ inside.
1: Yes, exactly. It really is to be rooted and grounded in something that's larger than our life. So as a believer, my ultimate hope is because of what Jesus has done for me and won for me, his love for me, that that is what defines me.
0: Yeah. I just have this quote as well from your book that I'll just read that summarizes this. It says, We are made for much, much more than this life has to offer us, and we know it. The soul's response to the ongoing awareness that this life will never fully satisfy is to ache. But we do not need to despair. We can ache with a grief that makes what is available all the more lovely. I love that. I love that. It's just this again. This idea that, in a way, just by naming it, acknowledging it, and then own our story, all of it, the totality of it, the good and the and the hard, and and we embrace that ache. It then gives us the chance to invite in the joy of uh, that God has for us. Yes,
1: yes. There was a, a poignant moment. I just love the way you described all of that. Uh, an example would be my. My husband just had his 60th birthday, and we were going to have this fantastic party, and we had to cancel it because of COVID and the restrictions, Um, but we were able to have our children over, and we had all been living in such a way so that we could still see each other, and, um, and then the night turned out to be so sweet, so glorious. There was a chance for... Um, we'd all written him letters and after dinner, a moment for each person to stand and read them their letter of what he meant to them as their father. And it was, it was holy. It was like the earth stood still. It was one of those rare and beautiful evenings that was also so poignant and so wonderful. And then it ended and it passed um, and I, I think that's part of the poignancy is is the the sadness that things don't last, and this is where memory is such a great gift to us because we we can relive things. We're meant to in our imagination revisit them and remember. and that's really important to hold on to the good things. But having that moment, that time was it was so holy and knowing it just made it that much sweeter that this is right now, this is happening. and rather than, being sad that it wasn't going to last it it, we were extra present to it extra attuned and really paying attention
0: yeah i find that one of the the best gifts at times is a um, joyful presence that i think most of my life i live in fast forward in the future like thinking about what needs to happen or maybe thinking back over what I should have done, what I could have done, you know, the regret side of it. And so to actually be present is a rare, th- rare gift. <laughs> it is that's what it is. It
1: is a rare gift. Yes. And it's the, it's uh, actually, the best way you can love people is offering your presence. So yeah, and it's, it's a challenge to yeah. not be running ahead or ruminating on behind, but to actually be present.
0: Something I enjoyed in in all of your books and appreciate is your vulnerability because what it does is it helps others to say, oh, I'm not the only one who deals with these thoughts or, you know, I think what it just shows is it's like, oh, this is a normal human wrestling with this past present, you know, um, thing, the ache, the joy. And what do you do with it?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, that's what I like to read. I learn I learn from other people's stories so much, because I want to know uh, who was it someone who said we read to know that we're not alone, and and to read someone else's experience and go oh you you named it you named what I'm living and that's such a gift to go oh I'm not crazy you just okay. Oh, at least there's one other person on the planet that has had that experience. And um, the more I've been able to talk with primarily women, the more I realize, wow, we share so many experiences, so many of the things that we feel isolated by or alone in, we actually share those. So to say those out loud, even that you're you, loneliness, women struggle with loneliness, like that it's not just... You it's not just me it's It's part of the human condition.
0: Yes, I think you're right. And so much of the time we're in our own world thinking, I'm the only one that deals with this, no one knows what it's like and i and this whole concept of loneliness that you touch on is fascinating because you you said, you know, I've yet to come across someone who's has who has not struggled with loneliness in some way. yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. Actually, that both surprised me. But at the same time, I thought, what an interesting thing that most of us probably feel like we don't fit in. You just named it. That's
1: really true. And that's why this is one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he knows us. He knows us. He gets our sense of humor. He gets our jokes. He knows our, pers- our the way we perceive things and that that. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is I will, uh, you know, that you're not alone. I will never, ever leave you. That I, that it's just an answer to the loneliness of, although we're meant to be in community with other people, people, skin on people, but, but that, um, we're, we're met in a deep and profound way and knowing that, oh no, actually I am known. And in that knowing, I'm actually loved. And therefore I have the courage to risk for me being vulnerable and offering truth and my experiences and perception because I'm, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But it is, it is mind blowing. I remember being with a group of these women that were all like, like, they're just, you know, women I look up to a little intimidated by. And I ended up asking them, do y'all feel like you fit in? And none of them did. I was stunned. Wow. Yeah. They like, they like got quiet and a little sheepish and like, Said no, and I went. Whoa, it's not just me.
0: That's amazing. The, I just think the power of naming it is is really interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to have it called out, and just that awareness again of oh, okay, <laughs> that's a that's a real thing that so many of us deal with.
1: The things that we think are going to bring us life. So you know, we're driving down the road, and we have a destination in mind. We're going to the beach, and it's going to be great. And then something happens, Uh, somebody rear-ends us, somebody side-swipes us, and our plans become interfered with. And maybe we didn't know that the beach we were going to was Normandy, and it was D-Day, and it was not going to go well for us. But so much of our learning and growing happens in the detours, and we have a God who is committed to our good.
0: Every time there's this, you know, this, a circumstance that happens, um, there's an invitation to find more of him in, in that place. There's an invitation to to this joy that is totally irrational, <laughs> but very real by connecting with the person of God in those places that are unexpected or troublesome and, and being willing to trust that. God has my back, and he is he He is good, and His goodness is always working on my behalf. Yes,
1: and he's for me. He's for me, he's not working against me he's, just as you said, he's working on my behalf. Um, I think one one of the difficult things is just for many people is to come to to receive love and naming God as a good father because for too many of us we didn't have an earthly father that we might name good or none of us had a perfect father so so one of the things is in 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 this journey of ours is is reframing is asking okay God I don't know you reveal yourself to me show me who you are I want I want to know and And I want, I want, and and the more we do, the better he gets. The more we know him, the more great he's just, you know, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 40 some years, and I love him more now than ever before. And Christianity has just gotten way better. It's way better than I first thought it was. And Mm -hmm. uh, so to know that, that in the midst of loss, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of derailed dreams, um, that there is one that's fighting on my behalf is really good to know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: it is and you know what's fascinating to me is that God is so patient with our journey and, and learning to receive his love and, and I think every person has to move past their own offense towards God in yes. order to receive his love yes and, uh, you know, and God, God's so patient with us. And yet I really think every person carries an offense or more, one or more <laughs> towards God that has to be, that has to be at least pushed to the side long enough to say, God, I want to know you for who you are and not hold this against you. You know, Yeah. do you know what yeah.
1: I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And then the image will speak to me about this because I really want to know, um, but speak to me about it. And that's that's really, really important, o- opening up the dialogue.
0: Yeah, yeah, that openness. Another picture that I had kind of as I was reading the book was th- this idea of open hands, you know, that what we want to do is have clenched fists with life, don't we? Like we want to hang yeah. on to what we can control what we want to hang on to what will satisfy you know so many things that we're like oh in order to feel safe and to feel satisfied I've got to hang on you know or hang on to that offense (laughs) Uh, you know whatever it is and yet the the posture of finding freedom and joy is open hands being willing to let go being willing to uh, you know even with the even with the good things in life and the hard things in life, when we have open hands, it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're willing, we can say goodbye to that great vacation, because also there's a gift for me in this next season that I can receive.
1: Yes, that you can't, you can't see it yet. The open hands is is really important. I have, I have clenched my hands in friendships, and trying to hold on to something. And I've, I've Put so much pressure on them to be a certain way that they died, you know, or just my seeking for control and and holding on. Then it needs to be this way, or you need to act that way, or I, and it, it doesn't bring life. But this open-handed thing, that whole butterfly. Remember that if it loves you, it'll come back. But there's truth to it. Like an open-handed acceptance and anticipation. Of, it's not just an acceptance of loss. It's an anticipation of good that's coming.
0: Right. An anticipation of good, which which is rooted, again, bringing it all back, it's rooted in um, the foundation of knowing Jesus and understanding, having a heart understanding of his death, his resurrection, and, and the life that he gives us. It, it all goes back to that.
1: It does, it does it all it all goes back to him and his love and his promise because and the ultimate hope that we have
0: in the very real person of Jesus. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Stacy. You can find out more about her at wildatheart.org. And if you enjoyed listening today, please share with someone who you think could benefit from hearing it. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thanks again, everyone.